Isaiah chapter 28. And I'm going to begin uh, with verse number 14, Isaiah 28 and 14. Wherefore hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men that rule the people which is in Jerusalem, because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with hell, we are at agreement, and when the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves." Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation of stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and he that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters shall overflow the hiding place. Down to verse 20. For the bed is shorter than that a man can stretch himself out on, and the covering narrower than he can wrap himself in. For the Lord shall, shall rise up as in Mount Perizim, and he shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. Now therefore be ye not mockers, lest your hands be made strong, lest your bands rather be made strong, for I have heard from the Lord God of hosts a consumption even determined upon the whole earth. Give ye ear and hear my voice and hear my speech. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now, God, that you would anoint the word. Lord Jesus, I pray, help me to speak what you've given. And Lord, I pray, let the church rise up and let us reach a place, oh Lord God, where you can really work in our hearts and lives and give us the ministry, O oh Lord God, that you intend to give us. In the mighty name of Jesus, let the church say, in Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Would you greet some folks as you're being seated this morning? Now therefore be you not mockers, lest your bands be made strong, for I have heard from the Lord God of hosts consumption, even determined upon the Lord. For the Lord shall rise up as at Mount Perizim, and he shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon. I'm going to preach to you this morning the God of the breakthrough. The God of the breakthrough. And whether you know it or not, God can get mad, and we do not want that. You do not want that. Anger is an autonomic response to a situation in which you feel threatened to some degree, and that threat can be perceived as a challenge, an insult, a degrading comment, or even a righteous sense of injustice. You see an act that's not just, and you have what the Bible calls righteous anger or righteous indignation. And when someone gets angry, as I said, it's an autonomic response. You can't control it. You, you can't control the, the physical reactions that you have, and they are dead giveaways to when someone is angry. So there, there are symptoms that are seen here. Red face, somebody gets red in the face, or swollen neck veins, 
veins popping out, clenched fists, sweating palms, incoherent speech. You can't get the words out of what, what you want to say. And um, uh, you, you get blurred vision because anger clouds the visual centers of the brain. And you, they said, well, I see red, you know. Uh, one customer, an irate customer, uh, had, had, this was reported by a, uh, an employee at a jewelry counter about an irate customer who had received a late bill payment in the mail and came storming into the store all upset, waving the bill and wanting to find somebody to scream and holler at, you know, because they didn't think they were uh, being treated fairly or justly. And this irate customer came to the uh, employee and said, you have made me so think I can't bad straight. <laughs> we get incoherent in our speech. Can't get it out. Amen. Men and women brag differently. Uh, women get it out real sharp and real quick and real cutting. And men are stumbling around trying to put a sentence together. They're just spitting and sputtering trying to say, you know what I'm talking about now. You're laughing. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, there was a story of this truck driver. He was a decent guy, laid back sort of guy. And he stopped at a road side cafe to get a bite to eat and a motorcycle gang pulled up and they came in with their cut off uh, shirtless blue jean vest and their German uh, military helmets and swastikas and arms tattooed all over and chains hanging down and, and uh, their big black boots and leather gear and they came in and they sauntered in and they kind of just took over the cafe spread out you know and took over the cafe and they were eating and having a good time. And it was this truck driver where they're sitting on the stool at the counter by himself and he's, he's quiet and he's just going about his business, decent sort of guy. And so they started to, to make fun of him and uh, they, they began to insult him. And one of them got up and, and went over and, uh, and uh, you know, accidentally on purpose knocked his coffee over and uh, took his sandwich off his plate and took a bite out of it and put it back down and, you know, said, said what are you going to do about it, you know? And they were all laughing at him and making fun. Truck driver didn't say nothing. He just finished up, cleaned up, wiped his hands, paid his bill, went to the counter, got his check, paid his bill, tipped the waitress and walked out the door. And uh, as, as he went away, the, the uh, motorcyclists were... You know, just still walking and making fun of him, you know. And, they, and one of them said to the waitress, the counter girl, said, he don't seem, he said, he sure ain't much of a fighter. Well, the counter girl had looked out the window in the meantime, and she said, well, he doesn't seem to be much of a driver either. He just ran over three motorcycles with his big old truck. Anger. <laughs> Amen. Uh, they say that, you know, people that take flights of anger usually make bad landings. Yeah. I was, I had an experience the other day as I was here working and an old acquaintance came in of, of my son-in-law's, Bill Burnash, sad Burnash, came in looking, pastor, pastor, get a little talk. And, uh, but he had something very nice to say about my son-in-law. He said he's got a big old heart. He just he would do anything for anybody. He said, I, me, and, me and Stephen go back a long way. He said, we go back to grade school days. He said, he said the thing that first attracted me to Stephen and I first became his friend was when Stephen saw some bully picking on some little kid and he wasn't going to have that. And he stepped in and stopped it. He said, never since then, Stephen and I have been friends. That's, a, that's a, an example of the right kind of anger. That's an example of, of uh, uh, righteous indignation and, and, and wrath turned against something that's evil that wants to bring out something good. Can you say amen, somebody? Amen. Hallelujah. Now, God can get mad. We don't like to hear that. 
We just want God to be a sweet little Jesus somewhere that just loves us all the time, no matter what we do. But God can get mad, and God can get angry in ways that will oppose us, as he did Balaam, remember? Amen. And Balaam's donkey started talking to him and said, I can't go there because the angel is standing there with a sword and going to kill you. God's anger can oppose us or his anger can defend us. Hallelujah. Amen. When God gets mad, and he will, you want to be sure you're on the right side of the anger. It don't do to mess with God, amen, and do what he don't want because your arms are too short to box with God. <laughs> Somebody, you know, talking to me the other day and saying about the last time they prayed to God was about their sick father who was dying. That was the last time he prayed to God. God apparently didn't answer his prayer, so now he's going to get mad at God and not talk to him ever again. That's so foolish. And so foolish. Amen. We need to get on the right side of the anger of God. Now, I'm in, in my bread program, I'm in one chronicles, right? <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you ever need a sleeping pill and can't go. <laughs> you cannot get to sleep. I can recommend to you uh, the perfect formula, amen, that will not involve any drugs or any chemicals of any kind. Amen. Just, just pick up one Chronicles and read. Start anywhere from chapter 1 to around about 12 or so. Amen. The, the first third of that. You pick any one of those chapters and just start reading. It won't be long. Well, you'll fall asleep. But, you know, as, as much as that, we laugh because you know what I talk about. If you've read the Bible through, you know you've been there and done that. So-and-so begins, so-and-so begins. But, you know, I've learned to love to when I get to First Chronicles because some of the best messages that I've ever gotten have come out of First Chronicles, believe it or not. Amen. And I got another good one cooking on the back burner here that has to deal, do with some of those sleepy time chapters. Amen. And the reason I get so excited about it is God's word is powerful. Even when we're talking about an endless list of genealogies, amen, there's, if, you, if you take the time to actually read that, you'll find a little nugget dropped in here or there, amen, that just, wow, pops right out of you all of a sudden, amen, and, and, and that's a good thing. But we got to this point here in... First Chronicles, the 13th chapter, and I won't read for you a little bit here, beginning at verse number 6, down to verse 12. And David went up in all of Israel to Baalah, which is in Kirjath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of the God, the Lord, uh, that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called upon it. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah in Ohio drove the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harps and psalteries and timbrels and cymbals and with trumpets. Boy, they were having church, I mean. They were having a good time. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And when they came unto the threshing floor, Something in mind. I can't read. Uh. They came to the threshing floor of China. Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen had stumbled. And the anger of the Lord, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, because he had put his hand to the ark, and therefore he died before the Lord. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Wherefore, that place is called Perezuzah, Perezuzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day. 
saying, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? Well, the story began a few years prior in the reign of King Saul. And at the death of King Saul, in the battle of Mount Gilboa, the ark had been captured by the Philistines when Saul and his sons were killed and Israel was defeated in battle. And that ark had traveled to various Philistine cities and it had been put up for safekeeping in the temples of their gods. And every, every morning, the idols of the false gods would be falling down on their face, amen, because of the ark of the Lord present wouldn't bear it. And so eventually, the Philistines loaded it on a cart and sent it back to Israel. And here it comes down the road. And now it's time to bring it back to God, to Jerusalem, and bring it back to the place of worship. Amen. This, this place, this, this ark of God where God dwells between the cherubim and whose name, God's name, is called upon this ark. This was a tremendous, the most valuable uh, relic that, that, they, that the nation of Israel possessed, symbolic of God and His throne in heaven and of the law and of the provisions of God and of the callings of God, the gifts and the callings of God. All of these testimonies were in the ark. It was powerful and it was tremendous. And Israel wasn't Israel without the ark. Amen. We're not the church without the God of the ark. We need the God of the covenant to be in our presence. We need him. We're not the same if the ark is gone. We're not the same if the anointing is not here. We need the presence of God. And the reason why it was gone in the first place is because the sin that was in the church, the sin that was in the camp, it cost the church the ark of the covenant. They lost it for a while, but a revival is about to take place. Oh, revival is, is coming back to the church. Things are going to get back to the way they used to be. David is so excited. How can I bring the ark home? I need to bring it back. And he got the priests together and he got the singers together. And all of them had instruments and they were playing and singing and dancing and worshiping. Oh, it was a joyful time. Hey, man, we're going to have revival. Things are going to happen for our church. Wonderful things are coming our way. And all of a sudden, boom, God strikes a man dead. And David is confused. Amen. God's angry at me, and I don't know why God's angry. I've got the ark. I need to bring it home. I've got to bring it from there to here. We've got to get things back to order. And back, and I'm trying to do everything right. I'm trying to do the right thing, and now a man's dead. What have I got to do? What have I got to do? And so he sent back, and he did some research, and he discovered that he had, in his haste, to bring the ark back, he had only done things partly right. He had only got things partly straightened out, but not all the way straightened out. You see, the details do matter. The details of the word do matter. It does matter whether or not you have the name of Jesus said over you when you're water baptized. Or whether you just think you can get away with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and that's good enough. It does matter. The details matter. Hallelujah. And they found that the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be born on the shoulders of men. And not just any men but the shoulders of the, high, of the priests only. They're the only ones that could bear it, and even they couldn't touch it out of season. Amen. They could only touch it with the staves that went through the rings in the side of the ark. Amen. On their shoulders. They couldn't actually touch the ark. Amen. That was forbidden. No one should touch it. And, uh, and Uzzah was well-intentioned. He was trying to do a good thing for God. The ark shouldn't fall off the cart. But the ark shouldn't have been on the cart. You see. And a man died because mistakes were made. A man died because someone didn't follow the law and do what God said to do. And if you think this is something you can just skim over, 
and skate on thin ice, amen, and live a life that just skims by the Word. And, oh, I don't need that detail in my life. Oh, I don't need to do this in my life. I can get away with this in my life. If you think that that is the case, you are trying, amen, to move the anointing of God on an ox cart. And one day, amen, you're going to touch something you shouldn't touch. Oh, I'm feeling it now. I'm feeling it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And so they buried him there and removed the Ark of the Covenant to a house nearby. And David named the place Peretz Uzzah. Peretz Uzzah. Hallelujah. Now, uh, we see again in the next chapter, 1 Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 8. And when the Philistines heard that David was anointed king over all Israel, and all the Philistines went up to seek David, and David heard of it and went out against them. You see, when the devil hears that you've got something going on in that church over there, he's going to come against it, and he's going to come against you. Amen. He's going to bring all of his full force against you. He's going to line his armies up. I ain't having it. I hear that Israel's got him a new king. Now, we just got rid of the old one for him, and now they went and got a new one, and this one looks better than the old one, and I ain't having it. I'm coming against you. And so David heard of it and went out against him. And the Philistines came up and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. But David, I like this, David inquired of God. You know, that's your first mistake. You just go off and do something for God without asking him what you should do. You just go off and make decisions for God without asking him what he thinks. You're just going to go take care of this thing yourself. And not inquire of the Lord. Somebody said, well, God talked to me. Did he? <laughs> what did your pastor say? Did you ask him? Hallelujah. Anytime you think God spoke to you, you better run it by a man of God. Because that's where people get in trouble. All the time. Is they think God talked to me and I don't have to listen to anybody else. Now, when David inquired of the Lord, he didn't just do it by himself, but he had to do it by the priesthood. And the priesthood had a thing called the Urim and the Thummim. Amen. And that was the way that they would get God to talk to them and answer. Amen. David, when he inquired of the Lord, had to ask the man of God, had he asked the priests, shall I go up against the Philistines and wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto him, go up for I will deliver them into thine hand. So they came up to Baal Perazim and David smote them there and David said, God hath broken in upon mine enemies by mine hand like the breaking forth of waters. Therefore, they called the name of that place Baal Peretzim. Peretzim. And when they had left their gods there, David gave a commandment and they were burned with fire. So we have this again Baal Peretzim. Well, what does this mean? Uh, this word comes from the Hebrew word, it's a root word, Peretz. It's strong's. Hebrew word, number 6556, and it means a break. Literally or figuratively, a breach, a breaking forth, or a gap. And so Perez Uzzah was a breaking forth upon Uzzah. God's anger broke forth upon Uzzah. And uh, Baal Perizim, because all the lords of the Philistines were gathered together, it was plural 
M is the plural, Baal, Peret, Zim, all of this. It included a breaking forth upon multiple groups of people. And notice that it was Baal, Peret, Zim. Because, you see, the Philistines brought their gods to the battlefield and they worshipped Baal. And they brought all their little statues and idols out there. Amen. And when David defeated them upon the battlefield were left all of these idols and trinkets of their idolatry that they had abandoned and fled. Amen. And so Baal was left on the ground, on the face of the earth, in this valley. And David would name it, amen, the place where God broke forth against Baal, where God put Baal down. Hallelujah. Now that was a tremendous battle and a tremendous victory. And no doubt, uh, David, the first victory of his, of his uh, uh recognized new administration as the king. He had had many battles that he'd won in the past, but he's the king now, and this is his first kingly battle. It's a contest against his, his anointed headship of Israel, amen, that they've come out against this new king to test him and try him, and he's defeated them, amen, and, and, and he realizes, amen, that this is a triumph of truth over idolatry. This is God's triumph. It's a triumph of God's church against all the wickedness of the world. And he appropriately names it Baal Peretzim. And you would think, amen, that at this point, David has, has, a, he has arrived, right? He's arrived. He's been validated in battle by God. It's a tremendous thing. But, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because doesn't the Bible say, beware let any man take heed when he standeth, lest he fall. Our greatest danger is not in the moment in the heat of a battle, but always on the heel of a victory. Didn't Paul say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong? Amen. God draws us close to him, and we get close to God when we're weak, when we're broken. That's when we can get close to God. That's when we know we need him. And that's when we reach out to him, you see. When we're weak, our connection with God is stronger than in any other time. But being who we are, being human by nature, amen, if we can do it ourselves, we don't need God to help us. And so when we're standing in and we're triumphing in our own self, amen, that's when we're in the greatest danger. Amen. Take heed, lest you fall. And so here comes another test. If you read on down here, it said in the next verse, and the Philistines yet again spread themselves abroad on the valley. They came back. Amen. Listen, you're not just going to fight the devil and beat him and he's going to go away and that's the end of it. <laughs> Get used to it. You're in an army now. You're on a battlefield now. Somebody said, I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. I am on the battlefield for my Lord. I will serve him till I die because I'm on the battlefield for the Lord. You better get used to it. Get up in the morning. Get your shield on, your helmet on. Pick up your sword of faith. Amen. Put your combat boots on because when you drive off to work, you're going to war. We go to war every day that we live for God. We're on a battlefield. You just don't beat the devil one time and that's the end of it. The devil don't ever take no for an answer. He's always going to spread himself out again. Therefore David inquired again of God. Oh, I like this man. He's learning the right way. The reason for David's success, folks, there's multiple reasons, but here's one of them. He inquired again of God, and God said to him, Go not up after them. Turn away from them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And it shall be that when thou shalt hear the sound of the going in the tops of the mulberry trees, then thou shalt go out to battle. For God has gone forth before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. 
Any other man would have said, I don't need to hear that. I've already beat them once. I can do it again. I'm going to show them what for. Any other man after that first victory wouldn't even bother to have inquired of the Lord. He would have just assumed that I have the Lord on my side. But David inquired again of the Lord, and this time God said, don't go. Retreat from them. Run from them. And go over there and hide behind the mulberry trees. And then wait and see what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do, but when you hear a sound like a going forth in the mulberry trees, amen, then know that I have already gone before you and defeated the enemy for you. I've already gone and done it. Oh, hallelujah. It's so important, amen, to stay when God says stay and to go when God says go, but also to know when God says anything. And to do that, you have to inquire of the Lord. And that's not just a personal thing between you and God. Y'all are getting quiet on me here. This is one of the hardest things I have ever tried to get into the heads of New Yorkers. And I don't think it's all New Yorkers either. I think it's Albany County New Yorkers. <laughs> Saratoga County New Yorkers. Why? Because we live close to the seat of government. And anytime there's a seat of government, there's a seat of satanic power hovering over that area. And it's anti-authority. And it's independent and it's against God, and it permeates and colors that area, and it gets into the culture and the mindsets of the people, and the church that is not aware of the spiritual underpinnings of its area is a church that will be in danger because they won't inquire of God, they won't listen to God, and they won't do what God tells them to do. Woo! Hallelujah. Mm -mm -mm. You see, David's administration was new, and it was feeling its way along going forward, just as had his antecedent, King Saul. You see, Saul, too, was the chosen and the anointed of God. He was clearly God's choice anointed by the man of God at the commandment of the Lord. And he started out as a very humble, self-effacing man who did not consider himself to be important or worthy of the position that God had called him to. His early years were years of struggle and stumbling and effort, Years of clinging to this thread of a hope that he had been called and anointed. While most of the nation of Israel did not accept him as the king and wouldn't listen to him and wouldn't pay their taxes to him and wouldn't do anything he wanted. And he was this little king over here in the corner with a little 2,000 man army trying to beat back the armies of the Philistines. But he had God on his side and God started to give him victories and he started to win battles. But you see, Saul's two mistakes, just two mistakes, which cost him God's favor and God's anointing. And number one was when he didn't fully obey God's will and commandments. God told him to go against the Moabites and to utterly destroy them. All persons were to be killed all animals were to be killed. They, he was to utterly wipe them out. You know, and, and this is not PC. This is, this is Trumpest. <laughs> Sometimes the only way there's going to be peace in any part of the world is for one side to be the absolute victor. No questions asked. That's the way it turned out in World War II, didn't it? I mean, Hitler fought to the last, last, last. Fought to the last gasp till there was no more hope. Only when he was utterly defeated did Nazi Germany end. Same thing with Hirohito in Japan. Only when 
Japan was utterly broken. Was there an end to that conflict? And I don't see any other way forward for the Middle East either until one side triumphs over the other utterly. That's the part that's so PC incorrect. But God knew that a long time ago. And he knew that there could be no peaceful coexistence or detente between his culture and a culture that was utterly opposed to his culture. And church, neither can there be today. It doesn't matter about millennials or generation X's or generation Y's or Z's or whatever culture has gone on or what the Supreme Court does or does not do. Amen. Or what laws are passed in the land. We have a culture that comes from the pages of God's holy word. This is what sets the tone for everything we are, for the way we dress, for the way we look, for the way we wear our hair, amen, for the way we talk, for everything we do, for the laws we believe. This is what sets our culture, nothing else but this word of God. If they put us to the wall, we're going to go to the wall. If they feed us to the lions, the lions can eat us. Amen. If they burn us, amen, they can burn us. But we'll ride a fiery chariot to heaven because this is what we believe. And nothing else. Saul did not fully obey God's will and commandment. Slight deviation. Just ever so slight a deviation. He spared the select and best of the animals. And one man, the king, he brought him back in chains so he could have a victory parade and a triumph. It was ever so slight of a change in the will of God, what God said to him. Surely God would mind. If I just changed it a little, amen, so I can get a little credit here. And so I can get a little look good behind me here. Amen. That I'm the man that did this. Surely God. Surely the man of God will overlook that I just changed things slightly. It isn't all that bad, you see. I just made a little change. Ooh. Details are important. And, and let me tell you something. The closer you are to the throne and the closer you are to the pulpit and the closer you are to the altar, the more important it is that you get it right. You cannot be the master of your own counsel if you're not fully submitted to the voice of the man of God. And you are making a terrible mistake and don't think you're going to get away with it. Because there is a parrot's moment waiting for you. God will get angry. Amen. And he gets angry. The higher up in this you go if you deviate. Because it's important when you have power over people and you administrate and control people and counsel people. It's important that you become a stickler for the detail of the word of God. Because if you don't, lives will be ruined. And a man will touch an ark that shouldn't. And it will die. And it will be your fault. Oh, my God. I feel a God moment here. I can get ever so bold when I feel like this. And I'll pay for it later. Like Elijah, after he cut off all the heads of those prophets of Baal, then he went running from one little old woman. You can do terrible things when the anointing's on you, but when it's gone, buddy, you're living by yourself, and the consequences are fully upon you. Hallelujah. Surely the man of God wouldn't mind. Surely God would overlook it. But Samuel and God saw a disturbing quality in Saul that indicated the path forward for all future decisions and actions he would make. Because, see, he had changed now. 
Power had changed him. Authority went to his human head. Humans in power can do terrible things. Just look at our government over the last few years. And you see all kind of abuses of power. And probably will continue to be the case even in the future because humans in power can do terrible things to one another. You see, he had changed. Power had changed him from a humble, self-effacing young man to a king. Now determined, determined to prove himself and to secure his future. And if you know anything about King Saul, that was the main driving force of his 40-year reign to secure his future and to prove himself. He was never so challenged as when the young ladies of Israel came out with tambourines on the streets and danced after that battle against the Philistines where David killed Goliath. And they sang a song. Saul is slain his thousands, but David is slain his ten thousands. It was that seed, it was that thought, amen, that triggered and entered Saul and triggered everything about his paranoias, his insecurities, and his reign. And his driving force was to put his son on the throne, Jonathan. And he saw David as a threat when David was not behaving as a threat or acting as a threat. But he perceived and he knew, amen, everything, amen, was about securing his future and his dynasty and his throne and his kingdom. And it would lead to a trail of wrong decisions and bad mistakes one after another. He would never be the same. His second great mistake was when Samuel didn't arrive in time for Saul's schedule. He was about to go to battle and uh, they wanted to, to offer a burnt sacrifice to the Lord and worship God and get God's blessings on them before they went to battle. And Samuel was delayed and he didn't get there on Saul's schedule. And Saul didn't wait. But he put on the priestly garments, took off his kingly garments and put on the priestly garments and went out and built an altar and burnt the sacrifice on it and led the Israel in prayers. Because after all, I'm the king of Israel. Nobody is higher than me, not even the prophet of God, not even the man of God that anointed me and called me and told me what to do. Nobody is higher than me. I will make executive level decisions because I'm an executive and I have the power to do it. And he made a decision above his pay grade. And that's another problem for people who don't know how to submit to the authority of God that is in their lives. Making decisions that you should not make that are not your position or place to do. And you just go ahead and do it anyway. No one should make any decisions in this church that affects anyone in this church or any ministry in this church without first having consulted with me or my wife. Period. Because the buck stops here. And what you decide will affect other people and make a problem for me to have to come along behind and fix. And it ought not to happen. So this is what Saul did, you see, and it got God angry. And at that point, Samuel was done with him because Samuel knew God was done with him. And he would continue to reign. For, reign he would reign out his 40-year period, but he would never know the approval or the anointing of God again on his life. And he would live mistake after mistake. Now, I want you to know tonight, today, that God has a right to test you. He has a right to test us. He has every right to test us and to try us. And in fact, we're told in the Bible to expect it. The trial of our faith, though it be a fiery trial, God has meant it to bring out things in us. 
And when you take precious metal and put it into heat in the melting pot, be it gold or silver or whatever it is that you're trying to do, amen, there, the ore is there. The precious material is there. But you see, gold don't come out of the hill already polished and gleaming and shining for you. It comes out of the rock. It comes out of ore. It has to be refined. It has to be melted down. And in that process, scum comes off the top. Amen. And floats to the surface and has to be scraped off. And the heat's got to be turned up. There's more impurity there. Amen. And the more heat that is applied, the greater the purity of the product. Hallelujah. You're not hearing me now. You're not hearing me now. When you're going through your fiery trial and complaining and murmuring against God, why is God letting this happen to me? Why did all these bad things happen to me? Amen. Because you are in a place where parents is about to break forth. I know Brother Joe's been there and been tested in the trial. And he had a choice. Brother Joe, come up here for a minute. Hallelujah. I'm going to embarrass him badly. I thank God for this man as a praying man. For years now, he's been showing up. Showing up early on Wednesdays and Sundays. He'll come an hour and even more than an hour before service and sit up there alone and pray. He'll come in the wintertime, the coldest Sunday of the winter, and won't, the heat won't be on him. He'll be up there for over an hour praying for you and praying for me and praying for the Word of God and praying for this church. And I appreciate that. And I love that. And I thank that God for that. But a couple of years ago, when he had to go through this most painful decision about his sickness and his surgery that he'd prayed for for many years to God heal me, God heal me, and God didn't heal him. And he had to go through this surgery and he had to suffer the result of it. And it's unpleasant and nobody wants that in their life. Amen. And he could have gone one or two different ways with it. He could have got mad at God. He could have pouted. He could have resented God. He could have stopped believing in faith and healing. But he went the other way. He dug deeper. He got deeper. He went down in prayer. Thank you, Brother Joe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, the trials that God has given us are not accidental. They're deliberate and on purpose because God sees something good in you. There's some gold in there, in them thar hills. There's gold in them thar hills. And God needs to dig it out. He needs to bring it out. But it ain't coming out without heat. It's not coming out without testing. It's not coming out without fire. There's got to be some fire in your life. There has to be some testing, some trial in your life. You're going to have to go through things you don't understand and you can't get an answer to prayer to. Amen. And you don't know what's going to happen. But God is testing you because he has every right to test us. Every right. What are you going to do now? Hey, Job. Uh, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? It's a man that's right and walks with integrity and does everything right. I'm so proud of Job. He's a good man. Have you tested? Have you considered him? Oh, yeah, I've thought about him. He said, but you got a hedge around him. I can't touch him. He said, not anymore. He said, you do what you want to except don't take his life. You can take everything else he's got, but just don't take his life. And, and, and Job suffered it out for one, two years. I don't know how many years. Amen. It, this, wasn't, this didn't happen just you know, in a couple of months' time or a couple of weeks, this was something that he had to live with. Amen. Sometimes God will put something in your life that you're going to have to live with. You're just going to have to live with it. Amen. It is what it is. And it ain't going to move. And it's going to stay right there. Amen. But it's there to put you on your knees. Because only when you're weak can you be strong in Him. And if you've got one of them stinking 
Albany, New York attitudes, amen, where nobody ain't telling you nothing and you're making all the decisions for yourself and you'll decide what you should do and you don't care what the man of God preaches or says or counsels or does. You're just going to go off and do your own thing anyway. If you got that in your life, let me tell you, there's a parents moment coming your way. Now, it ain't all bad. Because remember what I said at the beginning. Amen. God can get mad at you and oppose you. Or God can get mad at those that are attacking you and defend you. And it depends on which side of God's anger you choose to live. Which side of mad, of a mad God are you going to get on? God, if you're going to be mad at anybody, get him. Get them. Don't get me. Get the devil. Get my, oh, God, 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 God. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Amen. We're going to, we're going to talk about a breakthrough. Because this Peretz moment is a breakthrough. It's a breaking forth. It's a breakthrough. Amen. And, and God can break through on people in two different ways. He can, we can make him so mad that he's got to deal with it. Or we can live so humbly and so righteously with God, amen, that God now will break through on our enemies. There's a way to live for God to get him mad at those that are fighting you and opposing you. There's a way to live for God that puts the anger of God at your back and on your side and gets him behind you and gets him defending you. There is that way to live for God. Amen. And there, was, there were plenty of, of, of uh, chances in the Old Testament. Remember Elisha? And them, and, them, and, them, and them teenagers came out and said, Go up, thou bald one. Go up, thou bald one. And mocked the man of God. What happened to them? Two she-bears came out of the woods and devoured them and ate them up. Amen. You don't want to, you do not want to be on the wrong side of God's anger. You see, salvation is of the Lord. And David passed his two tests that Saul failed. He passed them. Amen. Because he was willing to do the will and the commandment of God where Saul was going to go off and do his own thing regardless and just expect God to bless it. Amen. David was being tested. Would he follow the right way to worship? Would he just go right ahead and plow through with that ark and that cart? Or would he go back and check it out and find out the right way to worship and do it the correct way and then bring the ark up? Would he or not? Would he... In battle, would he depend on himself and his own counsel? Or would he inquire of the Lord and obey to the letter what God said? You see, in those two tests, Saul failed, but David succeeded. And that is the difference between them and us. Because salvation is of the Lord. And sometimes God is waiting to see if we'll let him deliver us or not. Because without him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. Salvations of the Lord. Let's just let's sing breakthrough. And the altar's open. I think it'd be a good time to just come and celebrate. Amen. Come and celebrate. If this church will get right with God, we'll have a revival breakthrough. We'll have a spiritual breakthrough. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.